Welcome to the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. This is a show about pushing through obstacles and hard times in order to live a happy and fulfilled life. I'm your host, Ted Fayton, and it's a pleasure to have you joining us. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Let's grow. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the No Rain, No Rainbows podcast. Thank you for spending the time to join us today. It means so much to us. And as always, shout out to my executive producer, Andre Suttles, Suttles Solution Media, for helping to make this podcast possible. We have a great episode in store for you guys today. I can't wait to hop into this conversation with the co-founder of Carolina Hard Money, managing member of Carolina Capital Management, bringing 30 years of mortgage experience. And that's not paying off the mortgage. That's lending the money for them. Please help me welcome Bill Fairman on the podcast today. Bill, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. And I know when you start talking about 30 years in the mortgage business, boy, this is going to be an exciting guest. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if anyone had a glimpse at your story in the show notes, I'm pretty sure they know that this is going to be anything but a boring podcast episode. But let's debunk them right now for anyone who hasn't read the show notes and they just kind of jumped into the episode blind have some false expectations. Why not introduce yourself and tell them what brings you to the podcast today? Sure. Well, when I got out of school, it wasn't the first thing I thought of going into the mortgage business. I actually went into the dental business. I was a dental technician for 10 years mm-hmm. before I got into the mortgage business. My father-in-law introduced me to it. It's funny. He said, you should be in the mortgage business. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you have a personality. And I went, oh, Is that all it takes? (laughs) Surprisingly enough, I did have an aptitude for it. It was a great way for me to help others because I could explain the complicated very simply. And it made me feel good because I'm helping people with uh, long-time life decisions. Most people don't get a financial education in school and you have to get it on your own in most cases. And it's really a shame. But like I said, I had an aptitude for it and Ran with it. 2008 was not a great time in the mortgage business, as you're probably aware. Uh, We went from a business that was thriving to one about 25% of the size that it was at its bottom. And at that time, I had turned 50 years old. I was middle management sales in a really good company, probably the best company I'd worked with ever. Everything was going great. Then the business just changed and I'm out of a job. As you're probably aware, when you're in your 50s, no one wants to hire you because one or two things are happening. I'm going to cost you too much in your health insurance, or the person hiring me is going to have less experience than I do. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and typically what happens is they either feel insecure about hiring someone that knows more than they do, or the other assumption is that I'm just taking this job until something better comes along. Unfortunately, I had to file for bankruptcy. I did not live beyond my means. Always bought used cars. My wife and I always bought used cars, never bought new cars. My cars were paid off when this happened. Had a modest home, Mm -hmm. didn't go all out when things were going well because I've been in commission only sales for most of my life. So there's always peaks and valleys and you have to pay attention to that. But also made another mistake. I had a really good 401k in the stock market. And when things got tough, you don't want to take money out of that 401k because now you have to pay penalties, taxes. And the one thing they always tell you is you ride out the storms in the stock market because over the long haul, it's going to pay off. Well, that didn't quite happen. 
<laughs> I ended up, my 401k went to about a quarter of its size too. So I didn't have that emergency money that I needed. So I ended up, like I said, filing for bankruptcy. Couldn't really find a decent job that would pay me more than about 25%. Again, I'm going back to that 25% piece of what I was earning previously. My wife hadn't worked for 13 years. She was a homemaker and she went back to work in a factory so we could make our mortgage payments. I ended up getting my commercial truck driver's license because they don't care how old you are mm-hmm. driving a truck. They just want warm bodies in the trucks. I want to ask you something because I love that you found your way to being a truck driver, but in that whole process in 2008, I mean, this is a situation that maybe some of our listeners can understand where you mentioned you didn't live above your means. You kind of made the decision to that practical, wise adults growing up would make in terms of contributing to a 401k, buying used cars, not buying too big of a house. But even despite making those decisions, the bottom gets pulled out from underneath you. In everything you just explained, never once did I hear any blame any animosity in your voice. You kind of were just going through, well, this is what happened and this is what I did to figure it out. What did you learn about yourself in that process? Well, again, most of my life, I've always counted on myself to make a living because commission only. You make what you make because of your actions, not anyone else's. You can't blame society or you have a crappy product that you're selling if you're a salesperson or the business that you work for, you're the one that is either going to do well or not. It's up to you. And it's your attitude that makes a big difference. In this particular case, I did get a chance to do some stuff that was fun. It just didn't pay much. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine, before I started driving the truck, was in an audio video business. I'm kind of an electronics nerd anyway. So I was able to install a bunch of home theaters in some nice places. I was designing and installing smart boardrooms, and I won't mention the name, but a very large local community college in the Charlotte area. But again, you can only control things that you can control. If you're constantly down on everything around you, you're never going to pull yourself out of the hole. It will happen. Sometimes it's just a matter of time. I'm only in charge of my life. I'm not in control of anybody else. Yeah. It does. It does. Because being in charge of your life, I saw one of the headlines, 51-year-old bankrupt truck driver becoming wild success. What's it like? I don't know if we're wild or not, but we're successful. (laughs) Yeah. Well, becoming successful after what some would say in a chapter at 50, a lot of people are kind of like looking at retirement. They're looking at hanging it up. You're just getting started. What was that experience like? And what did that teach you in terms of being a truck driver for a couple of years? Well, the 401k piece was, it was a punch to the gut because I had nice nest egg built up and I only needed a few more years and I would have been set up for retirement and it was all gone. So you do have to start over again. And again, you just have to say, look, this is what we need to do to keep the house, keep a roof over our head, make sure we pay our bills. And It's funny, a friend of mine was reading an article that said that the country had a 600 and some odd thousand person shortage in the truck driving industry. So I borrowed $2,700 to school to get my license. And then I paid that back within the first year that I was driving. But again, it's all about attitude. When I first started, I was making 28,000 a year driving a truck. But when you first start, I mean, you have no experience and 
you're not going to make a bunch of money at any job with no experience. <laughs> you have to work your way up. And like my father-in-law had sent, said to me at one time, you have a personality. So I was able to, within the year, because I always talked to all the places that I drove to, I found a really good truck driving job in Charlotte with basically set hours. And I knew exactly where I was going. That's the one part about truck driving that I couldn't stand is that you had no idea where your next stop was going to be. So I could start off on Monday in Charlotte and I might be up in Ohio and then in Texas and then back to Missouri and then back to Charlotte again. And you never know, you're just plugging in the new address and going. And if you've not driven a truck before, they're not easy to turn around if you miss the street that you're supposed to go down. Yeah. <laughs> There's a bit of a fear factor in there. The first time I ever drove across the George Washington Bridge going into New York was an eye-opening experience since I learned how to drive in Charlotte, North Carolina. Oh, yeah. But I ended up parlaying that position, and I was making most $80,000 a year by the second. And it's all about treating people right, number one, and being and open and honest with people, number two, and taking advantage of the opportunities when they come. Yeah. It sounds like being authentic, treating people like people was your strategy and really the way you navigated through life and through these hardships. How important is it for us to push forward through obstacles? Because when we talk about starting something and making it successful, we like to write the roadmap out and they're like, okay, should be easy. Let's go. Sure. But with your road, it's been anything but just straight. How do you handle that? Well, this is something that I was taught very young when I first started in the dental business. My professor said, and he was applying this to making dental appliances. It needed to look natural, but it's something that applies to everything in life. There are no straight lines in nature. So there's always going to be obstacles. There's always going to be things that get in your way. You can't let those bother you. You just need to take them in stride, figure out how to get around them and continue on. You have to expect that it's not going to go perfectly. I've been in the real estate business for a long time. And I can tell you right now, there is nothing normal about the real estate business. <laughs> you can't guarantee anything with the real estate business. It's going to be up and down. There's going to be obstacles constantly. For example, if you buy a home and your intention is to knock out a couple of walls and make it a nice open concept, and this is what it's going to cost, and I'm going to get it done in this amount of time. Well, no one has x-ray vision. You buy the house, you take down the wall. What if there's stuff in there that you didn't expect? Now the timeline's longer, and now the cost is more. Are you just going to quit? No, you have to have contingencies for that. Again, you have to minimize the downside the best you can, and if market forces change things, those are beyond your control. Those are things that you can't control. Don't sweat them. Just figure out what to do next. What can we control? Because I know a lot of people, they focus on the wrong things. Mm -hmm. They focus on, okay, sure, I might want to set up my contingencies, but if my contingencies don't make sense, if you can't control your contingencies, I have a couple people on speed dial. If I were in trouble, I can call them. I can't control if they pick up. So sure. my contingencies might be in place, but where can I take complete ownership control? What can I focus on to, I guess, mitigate my dependency on the powers that be? Again, you can only control what you can control, your decisions. And I keep going back to treating people like you want to be treated, because when you do that, you're always going to have people that have your back. 
My partners and I are really big in mastermind groups. When you're being an entrepreneur is not necessarily a team game, but you need a team in order to perform at your optimum abilities. And you need to surround yourself with a group of like-minded individuals that you can bounce ideas off of where they don't have a problem listening to you intently and going, yeah, uh-huh. And why do you want to do this? Uh-huh. That's the stupidest idea I think I've ever heard you ask <laughs> or say. You need people like that. You don't want people around you that are just going to say, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, that's a great idea. And a lot of times you need people from outside of your industry because they're going to see things in a different light than you are. Mm. Our business here, we are in four different mastermind groups. One of them is a CEO mastermind group. One of them is a marketing mastermind group. One of them is a real estate specific mastermind group. And I'm in another mastermind group, which is kind of funny. This is sort of full circle. I help dental professionals with their financial future. (laughs) I used to call on dentists when I was much younger. Now I'm teaching them how to get passive returns for... Actually, what I'm trying to do is replace their active income with passive income. Yeah. And you mentioned increasing the downside or reducing the downside, Mm -hmm. kind of setting yourself up for success by controlling what we can control. And those mastermind groups seem to be an environment that facilitates growth and improvement. There's a lot of people who they want to be stronger in a certain realm. They never go to the gym. And I say gym metaphorically because it could be whatever we want. How important is it for us to apply that pressure, revisit the whetstone to sharpen the skills and actually improve who we are in the environment that we're in? That, That is an awesome question. Because part of having being in those groups is raises the bar for you. When you're in a room with people that are mostly smarter than you are, because if you're the smartest person in the room, you're in the wrong room. You want to be in a room where you're not the smartest person in the room. That's the only way you're going to grow. And I wish I had a picture I could put up. When we were getting our business started after the crash and after the truck driving thing, there was a lot of hours where I'd come in and it was dark. I would leave when it was dark. I was not taking care of myself. I had ballooned up to like 230 pounds. I'm only like 5'8". Hmm. I was not in great shape and saw a picture of me in this group. And I said, who is that fat guy that looks like me <laughs> on the screen? And right then, and because of the help from my peer group, they helped me go on a diet. They helped me find a quick way to get on a diet. A diet is not a way to live your life. It's a jump start to changing the way you eat and take care of yourself. So I joined a gym. Another thing you learn in the mastermind group is you hire coaches where you're weak to help you become better, or you hire someone that is really good at where you're weak. And in this case, I couldn't hire someone to exercise for me. So I immediately, after I'd been at the gym for about a month, trying to figure out the exercise routine that would be right for me, I ended up getting the most expensive personal training package that they offer. Part of the reason for that is motivation. If I spend a bunch of money, I'm going to damn sure show up. (laughs) The other thing about having a personal trainer and or a mentor that is waiting for you is that now you're obligated to go because you're not just letting yourself down, you're letting the person that you signed up with down. And so it puts a little extra motivation, extra pressure on you to perform and, and get the job done. 
And so I'm now in the 185 range. I'm in the best shape of my life. I was doing four boot camp classes a week before COVID. Now I'm down to two, but at least I'm still going to the gym in between the boot camps. And uh, yeah, couldn't feel better. But if it wasn't for my peer group around me, I don't know that I would have had the same dedication that I have now. Most of the guys that I'm in this group with, they're all very fit. They're running marathons. They're doing triathlons. Some of them aren't as dedicated as doing the big competitions, but they're all in great shape too. And we just bring each other along. It's very important to help elevate your game by being around people that are going to motivate you and are going to be smarter than you. Like I said, if you're the smartest person in the room, you're not getting any benefit from it. Yeah. Intention. And every time you answer, I hear so much intention and kind of how you go about things, almost as though there was a play-by-play or a playbook in how to navigate or overcome. Even with the 2008 crash where you mentioned, hey, I'm running into a situation I can't get a job, but here's truck driving, which I wrote down my notes for that was identifying the need and identifying the opportunity. You identified where as the age of 50, you can get a job and they didn't care what your age was, where you can communicate with your stops and find a way to gain experience fast. Sounds very intentional in how you navigate things. There's a lot of us, if we're being honest with ourselves, we look around and where we are in life is not the result 100% of intention. It's sometimes the result of autopilot. Autopilot in terms of graduated, found a good job, paid the bills, bought a house, bought a car. Now I'm in this house, have this car, and I'm golden handcuffed to this life that I never intentionally created, but here I am. How intentional are you with your planning and how important is it for you to know where you're going? Well, I know you're saying that as a compliment to me. Sure. I had not always been like that. I did the same thing. I was very content in that job just before the crash. I had the house. Again, I didn't overspend on it, but I still had that. I was very content. I was not trying to improve. I was happy to just play golf on the weekend and not do anything else. (laughs) But life has a way of kind of slapping you around a little bit saying, hey, you better pay attention. You're only 50 years old. You still have stuff to do. (laughs) And I have become very intentional since then. Again, when you have adversity at any time, but particularly later in life, when you thought you had everything on that runway and planned out nice and you have those obstacles, it'll wake you up. And yes, I have a much shorter fuse now than I used to. And I have to be intentional to make sure that I can accomplish the things I need to do. So I will have a comfortable retirement. And since I've been part of this group and these many groups, I keep saying the one, but I have many that have really influenced me. It's not really about retiring anymore. It's about what's my next. And once you get to a certain point and you become successful, the success is now a platform for being able to leave a legacy, do some good in the communities. We're very involved in multiple charities and it's being successful is the only way that we could have accomplished the way that we contribute. Now, we give money. You don't have to just give money. And oh, by the way, giving money does not fulfill you. You have to actually participate. Built homes in Mexico. I've gone to Honduras and Guatemala and fed orphans. You don't get the same kind of feeling just giving money to people. (laughs) Believe me, 
when you get a chance to go to a third world country and see how much they appreciate what you do for them, when you come back to this country and you start whining about sitting in traffic, now you're thinking to yourself, okay, this is a first world problem. <laughs> start focusing on the real issues. Does that make sense? No, 100%. Again, when you start to become more intentional in your life. And if you can do it at an early age, that's even better. There is so much good you can do in the world. Once you have become, I don't want to preface it on just being a success. You can do a lot of good and not be a business success. But in my particular case, if you have money, you need to do good with it. Yeah. And you can only spend so much of it, right? Mm -hmm. Once you get comfortable, what else are you going to do with it? If you give it all to your kids, their kids are just going to blow it. <laughs> That's true. If you look at the vast majority of the ultra wealthy families, by the third generation, they don't have any money left. Mm -hmm. Because typically it's the people that made the business, then the kids of the people that made the business still had that good work ethic that they were educated on with their parents. But it's their grandkids that half of them are ne'er do well and yeah. they just suck all the money away and it's gone. If you constantly give all this stuff to your kids, then they're not going to learn how to appreciate it. It doesn't mean you don't help them along, but you give them the hand up, not the hand out. Yeah. And this is actually a perfect segue to one of my last questions that I know some of the viewers and the listeners are probably sitting on the edge of their seat for in terms of, you mentioned the intentionality and we mentioned how within three generations, the riches we acquire in this world can be just spent by our grandkids. Yep. But you also had in your portfolio saying how the average person can't just invest their way to being rich. You can't simply just save your way to being rich. Everyone knows about, okay, the millionaire next door. If I save a Starbucks coffee a day, that's okay, $3.50 to $5. All right. If I'm lucky, by the time I'm 65, I might have a million dollars with accrued interest, but that's a huge if. How can the average person, and let's be honest, we're all average until we do something extraordinary, sure. extraordinary. How can the average person, someone listening now, put the intention behind some of their behaviors to hopefully set up a life that one day they can have enough abundance, whether it be in love, finances, or just resources to give and give back to the world? Well, let me go on the finance side of things mm -hmm. because I'm biased towards that. That's what I do for a living. Taking your active income and replacing it with passive income is the way that you can be free to do other things and have time to love, to hang out with family. When you work a nine to five, and I'm talking about people that own businesses, a lot of times they don't own businesses. The business owns them. <laughs> there are plenty of entrepreneurs that won't get out of their own way and they end up doing everything they're a slave to their business. So if you're an entrepreneur, you have to learn, and we talked about this earlier, you have to learn that where your weaknesses are, you need to hire people. That's their strengths. Mm -hmm. You have to look at your business and say, where is my most effective time being spent? And that's where you need to be. And you need to hire other people that will fill in any of those spots that are just taking up time. Mm -hmm. Once you have extra time, you're going to be surprised at how better your business is because now you can focus a lot more time on the things that make a difference in your business. On the passive side of things, again, I'm biased towards real estate. There is not an instrument out there that you can invest in 
performs as well as real estate. And most people that try to invest in real estate, they're not really investors, they're speculators. You don't buy a house hoping that it will go up in value and then you're going to sell it for more money. That's not how you do it. You buy properties that will pay you an income. And over time, as you acquire multiple properties, then that's passive income that can replace your active income. If I was a real estate investor in 2008, instead of a worker bee in the real estate business, I wouldn't have had to drive a truck. I would have had passive income that would have supplied me with enough income to overcome the issue. In 2008, a lot of people went into foreclosure. A lot of people that had investment properties went into foreclosure. Why? Because they didn't buy properties with cash flow. They bought properties speculating that they would be worth more later, which they weren't. They went down in value. But if you buy a property that's paying you an income, by the way, rents did not go down at any time in 2008. They kept going up. Why was that? Because people were losing their homes. They still needed a place to live. The problem was, again, if you were buying it for appreciation, not cash flow, most people got in trouble and they got a little over leveraged. But that said, the most important thing is time. You can't get time back. So anything that you can do to free up time to spend with your families, figuring out multiple streams of income, micromanager, that's the worst thing you can be. Mm -hmm. 80% of what you can do is okay. If you can get somebody else to do 80% of what you can do, that's good enough. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) Absolutely. I think you'll be operating at 160% on that one. And that's how the business grows. Bill, this has been hugely helpful in terms of just the practical and realistic approach at the obstacles we face in life, at the setbacks that so many of us go through having that story of going through the setback, not being too proud to take the job as a truck driver or even any of the side jobs that you did working with the audio and video installments for those clients. How can somebody reach out, contact you, learn more of the expertise that you've accrued over the 30 years with the mortgage experience, but also as a real estate investor, somebody's looking to maybe start transferring their active income into passive income, knowing that that's the intention needed behind that freedom. How can we reach out and connect? Well, it's pretty easy. Bill at carolinahardmoney.com. Beautiful. And I'm going to have that in the link to the show notes. We also do an educational live stream every week. We do two shows. One is strictly about the real estate business in general. We talk about everything real estate. And then the second show is primarily about passive private held funds and what could be good for you and what you should stay away from depending on where you are and how you want to get those returns. If you go to carolinahardmoney.com, you can find a link to our YouTube channel there. Carolinahardmoney.com. I'm going to have both of those links and your contacts in the show notes for folks to kind of reach out, connect with you on that platform and that website, and hopefully tune in to some of those live streams. Because as you mentioned, constantly improving ourselves, controlling what we can control, we can control the capacity in which we grow. So certainly the first step to getting to the future that so many of us hope for. But Bill, we appreciate the time today and we appreciate your expertise and all the advice that you were able to give. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to the listeners really quick, I always love to recap some of the gems from along the way in terms of what we can take away from this episode and what it means for you at home. 
I've always counted on myself. So many of us look around on somebody, something to blame when things go bad. We look for our boss to blame, or we look for the economy, the the market dropped on us, which ruined our 401k. Instead of pointing outward, we need to look inward and take credit for the ability that we have to change the trajectory of our lives and put ourselves in a better spot. And the best way to approach it, as Bill mentioned, was with attitude, having the right attitude and treating people right and communicating and connecting with the right people to help you grow and get to that next level. Also identifying the need when Bill was looking for an opportunity He didn't shy away from a $28,000 job because he thought he was better than that. He just wanted a job to help pay the bills, put money on the table and food on the table. And that was what led to not only starting the career as a truck driver, but within two years, maximizing that income to $80,000 a year, and then even going further, getting back into real estate lending and even still continuing to grow a successful business. Hire coaches where you're weak and hire other people with your weaknesses as well. If you can't hire a coach for that weakness, we don't always have to focus on our weaknesses and improve them. If you're in the position to hire out your weaknesses, please do so. If you're in a position to hire a trainer to help you with the weaknesses that can't be outsourced, consider that as well. But whatever you're doing, improving yourself is something that's really important. And that's why Bill harped on the importance of mastermind and a community in which you can learn from, in which you can have real conversations, bounce ideas off of, and have those around you, not too polite to say that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard and kind of hit you back in the right lane. Finally, Replace your active income with passive income so you can truly operate and live life with who you are and how you want to be and give back. And the most important thing is time. It's limited. You can't buy more. You can't get back what you've lost, but it's okay because there's plenty ahead of you to capitalize on, work with intention, and grow yourselves into the people I know you all can be. Guys, thank you so much for making it to the end of this podcast episode. Thank you again, Bill, for being such a wonderful guest. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with someone who you think will get value from this episode and also leave us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. The only way we can improve is when you identify the spots in which we can improve. That's me hiring you as a coach to help us get better and identify our weaknesses. And if you love the podcast and you want to support on a monetary level while also hearing extra content from the guests that we've had on, like Bill and others, you can go to our Patreon page and subscribe for as little as $1 a month. All the support means the world to us, and we thank you for that. But as we always say at the end of the episode, guys, everybody wants the sunshine, but they don't want the rain, but you can't get the pleasure without a little pain. Let's grow.